Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, May 4th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes a great guest, a talented guest, an exciting guest. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the co-host of The People Show, Mark Wallace. Your Ben Jarofsky show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. It's all there. Just head on over. Just do it now. Do it while you're listening to the show. And if you want to find more stuff from Ben Jarofsky, that's simple. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Stacy and Pedro Thursday, and here's why. Because <laughs> there's breaking news. That's why I was all set to talk uh, about the conviction of several Proud Boys for, for sedition. Uh, a, a jury in Washington, D.C. just came back with its verdict. Uh, sedition is uh, participating in the overthrow, uh, the attempted overthrow of the U.S. government uh, in 2020. I'm sure, folks, you remember that. Uh, when Donald Trump uh, tried to overturn the election and proclaim himself what? Emperor of the United States? Uh, six, I think it was six. I don't have the, the, the exact number of in front of me right now. I apologize. Uh, Proud Boys have been uh, convicted. Maybe my distinguished guest will correct me if I got the number wrong. Anyway, but I was also to talk about that. And then I came on the internet and I saw a press release from the Chicago Teachers Union that Stacey Davis Gates, the head of the Chicago Teachers Union, joined forces with Pedro Martinez, who is the CEO, the chief executive officer of Chicago Public Schools, to have a joint appearance in Springfield to plead for, for money for Chicago Public Schools. I almost passed out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I know Chicago is like a little island in, in, the, in the country, you know, like a little blue island. Although, as I'll be discussing uh, with my distinguished guest, Mark Wallace, there was an attempt to turn the blue island red. We'll get into that. Uh, but I know Chicago is, is a little uh, Blue Island and like everything that we do in our city is kind of different than everything that exists outside uh, the country. I realize that. Uh, but one of the peculiarities of this Blue Island is that there has been a, um, uh, a metaphorical war, if you will, against the Chicago Teachers Union for approximately the last 13 years. Have been waged by our mayor in conjunction with the business community, the civic community, and the editorial Chicago. They hate the Chicago Teachers Union. And it's weird because if you ask them if they like teachers, they go, well, you like teachers. We just hate the union. Uh, sort of overlooking the fact that the union is a collection of teachers. It's really hard to hate one without hating the other. I first detected uh, this attitude toward the Chicago Teachers Union at the end of like the O's or the aughts, uh, as my editors always like to change. I like to call it the O's. My editors, but then it's the aughts. Uh, Mayor Daley did not get the Olympics 
and uh, this is like 2009. He threw like a hissy fit, and he just got mad at the teachers' union. At the time, the teachers' union was very compliant, complacent. It was before Karen Lewis took charge. I don't know why he was mad at them, but I just he's just mad in general because he didn't get the uh, uh, the Olympics. Thank you, by the way, one more time, International Olympic Committee. If we had the Olympics, it would have bankrupted our city. Uh, but anyway, uh, and then Rom adopted the hate the teachers attitude. By then, of course, the teachers' union had been uh, taken over by Karen Lewis and her core of lefties. Uh, and uh, he ordered Karen Lewis. He sat her down after he got elected. He said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to uh, lose a, the promised wage hike we said we were going to give you. You're going to accept uh, the substitution of charter schools, non-union, for public schools, which are union, which means that your union numbers will fall. Uh, and we're going to make you work longer. So effectively, uh, we're cutting. We're going to make you work longer for less. And you're going to tell your little commie followers in the union to fall in line. He ordered her that. That's what he did. She said no. She confronted him. Uh, forced the strike. The strike was in 2012. Uh, Karen Lewis, essentially, and the union prevailed. They got what they wanted in the negotiation. But ever since then, they've been public enemy number one. A very concerted effort by Republican and Democratic forces, Dem Dems, uh, corporate Dems, to make them out to be the bad guys. You see it in editorials. You see it in columns. You see it in comments. Uh, that can't, Every election since then, there's at least one candidate who's virulently anti-teachers union. And this last one, it was Paul Vallis. Made no secret about it. He went out to Naperville, Illinois, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in front of Awake, Illinois, a far right-wing a group that uh, wants to ban books and is transphobic, doesn't hide it, uh, essentially a, a MAGA outfit. He went out and, and told them that they should join forces with the Fraternal Order of Police against the Chicago Teachers Union. That's, that's how he laid it out there. You guys came very close to electing him as your mayor, by the way, the last go around. But he was just the latest anti-teachers union uh, candidate to run for mayor of the city of Chicago. Lori Lightfoot was extremely anti-Chicago Teachers Union. It was tremendous hostility between Lori Lightfoot and Stacey Davis-Gates for four years. Never quite understood what uh, Lori Lightfoot had against Stacey Davis-Gates, but she did, and it works. i got to tell you, so many ordinary Chicagoans I know, of all races, blacks and whites, Hispanics too, they'll say, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really trust the Chicago Teachers Union. Why? Well, he went on strike. Yeah, they went on strike for more nurses and librarians and social workers. Well, Ben, I don't know. This kid should be in school. What's the point of being in school all the time if you don't have any nurses, you don't have any counselors, you don't have any social workers? We should just send them to school to keep them off the streets, you know? Like, it's just a big, giant daycare facility? I kind of think that's the attitude that uh, the powers that be have in this city. I always thought that the teachers had never had to go on strike in 2019 because Lori Lightfoot should have promised to hire those nurses without a teacher strike. She should have hired them already. Did schools need nurses? The schools need social workers? The schools need counselors? She should hire them. Why, why should there be a strike to force them? But the public, you know, if, if like you, you, you hammer it hard enough on a message, you get the public to do anything. A lot of people come on this show Good friends of mine, Mark Sims, I see you out there. Well, I don't really trust the teachers' union. 
I'm like, I never understood that. Anyway, things have changed. Brandon Johnson is the mayor elect. Uh, and uh, he, of course, is a member of the Chicago Teachers Union. He was hired by Karen Lewis to be an organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, his candidacy was very much supported by the Chicago Teachers Union. And now that he's mayor-elect, we got Stacey Davis-Gate going to Springfield with Pedro Martinez, hand-in-hand. Hand. Pedro Martinez, who was appointed by uh, Lori Lightfoot to plead for more money for the public schools. You know, better late than never, I suppose, but this should have been going on for the last 10 years. Instead of waging war against the Chicago Teachers Union, the powers that be in the city of Chicago, mainstream Chicago, as I call them, should have joined forces with the Chicago Teachers Union. You have a lot in common. I remember uh, during the campaign, Arnie Duncan, former education secretary, uh, endorsed Paul Vallis on the grounds uh, that what? It was sort of like a Nixon goes to China strategy. Well, Paul Vallis has strong relations with the Fraternal Order Police, Arne Duncan argued. So therefore, he might get the Fraternal Order to Police uh, to sign on to some basic police reforms, may, maybe make them feel more welcome in the city of Chicago, maybe ease hostilities. That's why he was endorsing Arne Duncan. It was kind of a roundabout, peculiar argument. Not sure I bought it, uh, but... But what was it? it? It was a better uh, def it was a better excuse for voting for uh, Paul Vallis than the one Richard Durbin gave, which is I like him. <laughs> I still don't understand the Richard Durbin endorsement. Maybe Mark Wallace, my distinguished guest, can help me with that one. Um, but uh, anyway, so I guess sort of the same argument could be made. Uh, Chicagoans who lived in fear of Brandon Johnson already. He's mayor elect already. He's. He's created peace and harmony between the Board of Education uh, and the Chicago Teachers Union. I don't know. Maybe that's progress, Chicago. Hey, Lakefront liberals who voted against uh, Brandon Johnson out of fear or ignorance, whatever it was that propelled you to do that. Man, it's a good sign, huh? Maybe you should be happy. Reconsider that vote. Anyway, I never thought. You know what's funny? In the city of Chicago, they almost treated the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, like they were the Proud Boys, like they were this seditious band of radicals who are endangering the safety of Chicago. It was like in the mindset of mainstream corporate civic and editorial Chicago, that's what the Teachers Union is. Well, guys, come on, there's peace now, all right? Maybe you can welcome the teacher. Hug a teacher union member every now and then, all right? Show some love. Peace reigns in the city of Chicago at least on this particular front. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest, Mark Wallace. Uh, he's an activist. He's a podcaster. Uh, he's a real estate uh, mogul. Uh, and he's a good friend of the show. It's been too long since he's been on. Welcome back, Mark Wallace. Good to be with you, Ben. And thank you for having me. All right. Um, yesterday, Mark and I had kind of did the show while I was walking down the street to the library to return some books. We hadn't talked a while. We had a phone conversation. Mark laid out everything uh, as how he saw the world, particularly with the uh, the recent election, uh, Brandon Johnson, Paul Vallis. And I'm like, Mark, you got to come on and lay out your theory. I have never heard anybody crystallize it so clearly. Uh, I'm going to uh, summarize it in a sentence or two, Mark, and then you take it away and go a step further. Uh, Paul Vallis's campaign was not just like a, campaign of Paul Vallis. It was really an attempt uh, by MAGA to take control of Chicago, politically speaking. And they came awfully close. I believe the final 
percent that ballots got was around 48 percent, which is astounding, ladies and gentlemen. Just think about that. Donald Trump couldn't get 15 percent of the vote in the city of Chicago. Darren Bailey got about 15 percent of the vote in the city of Chicago. Bruce Rauner, when he ran against Governor Pritzker in 2018, when it was just citizen Pritzker, got about 15 percent of the vote. Paul Vallis got 48% of the vote. And he was essentially an agent of MAGA. That is the Mark Wallace theory. Mark, I thought you were very convincing in how you laid out that theory when we were talking on the phone yesterday. Why don't you go into greater detail? Take it away. Thanks, Ben. Um, <clears throat> let me just kind of go back to your, your rift about the teachers, um, the Chicago Teachers Union. One, uh, the, the Chicago Teachers Union has been the weapon that political strategists and uh, people who want to take control of power in, in Chicago uh, has used as their political weapon because of the conditions of the Chicago public schools, they have done a masterful job at weaponizing the Chicago Teachers Union as being the responsible agent of the condition for the Chicago public schools, since they are, in fact, the teachers. However, the one person that I hold personally responsible um, and professionally responsible for others jumping on that is Reverend James Meeks. When he stood at Rainbow Push and he called the Chicago Teachers Union in 2005 the biggest gang in the city of Chicago. He said it was not uh, the, um, I forget which gang it was that he, he called, but he compared them to one of the most notorious gangs in Chicago at the time but he said that the biggest gang in the city of Chicago was the Chicago Teachers Union. I thought that was one of the most reprehensible, irresponsible statements that a public official uh, and a pastor, um, let alone, uh, could say about the Chicago Teachers Union, comparing them with a notorious, violent, uh, criminal uh, gang in the, in the city of Chicago. Uh, for him to make that kind of statement. So that opened the door for others to use the Chicago Teachers Union as their, um, uh, as their weapon to gain whatever political favor uh, or position that they were trying to get. The Chicago Teachers Union uh, is a union of people who care about teaching kids, who want to teach kids. I think that if we wanted to end in, in and our, our public school sectors and make our public school sectors work well, teachers should be earning $100,000 a year, then you might not have a need for um, to, to have a Chicago Teachers Union uh, the way that they are. I am a big supporter of public school uh, teachers and public education. I came up through the public school sector, and uh, I think that I've done pretty well. Uh, for somebody who came through public education. My mother was a public education, an early childhood education. So, and I know what uh, teachers and people in public education have to go through and what they commit themselves through to teach us. Now, 
I don't know of too many people who can tell you who their favorite cop was uh, at 50 or 60 years of age. I do know people who can tell you who their favorite teacher was. So weaponizing the Chicago Teachers Union, I think, is terribly irresponsible and uh, and very unfair uh, to suggest that. I think that, you know, the Chicago Teachers Union have a great leader in Stacey Davis Gates. I think she's a brilliant um, uh, person, educator, uh, as well as somebody who I think is politically, you know, a student conscience. Uh, so and I think that what they have tried to do is uh, they have tried to use that as a weapon to keep this division and really take the responsibility off of where it needs to be. One, the Chicago teach or, or public education should not be in the control of the mayor's hand uh, in the first place. And CPS is under the control and auspices of the mayor. So uh, if you're going to weaponize anybody as it relates to Chicago public education, it has got to be in those two areas, the mayor's office and Chicago public schools, the CPS. That's where uh, the responsibility lies. All right. I am, uh, since we're heading down this path, uh, I'm going to uh, join the conversation. We'll hold off on the, the Mark Wallace theory of the mayoral election. It, it's not going anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll get to it. Um, all right. This, I'm going to focus on this. I hadn't thought I was going to be going down this road, uh, Mark, but I here I go. So I believe that uh, the attitude that prevails about the Chicago Teachers Union in the city of Chicago uh, is a result of a combination of forces. One, a very strategic effort by Republicans uh, to destroy one of the most potent unions uh, that stands in their way uh, for uh, – victories for election victories and make of inroads in their movement against unions so it's a very concerted effort that's been going on this entire century by the republican party to make the teachers union public enemy number one and uh, i don't remember james meek's comments but i do know that james meek um although he ran uh, and was on the Democratic side, I believe he's an independent, but he sat with the Democrats in Springfield, uh, very much behaved like a Republican when it came to Republican, uh, to public education. Um, so uh, that's a Republican initiative. I believe it was colossal naivete by Dems, Demi Dems, uh, like Barack Obama and Arne Duncan and Rahm Emanuel to sort of see that Republican anti-teachers movement as a way for them to show their bipartisanship and to try to prove to Republicans that they weren't in, um, that, that they would separate themselves from uh, the teachers union. It's, it's sort of like attempts like Bill Clinton. Remember that uh, Bill Clinton uh, took a stand against rap music in the, in the, uh, when he was either running for president or he was just elected president, try to show was just for the Democrats. He was willing, Sister Soul, I'm showing my age here, Mark, but this goes back. Democrats every now and then feel this compulsion. I'm going to prove that we're not radicals like Ben. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to prove we're not radicals like right. Mark Wallace or Monroe Anderson. Everybody. We're going to move to the right and prove to the world that we're anti-union. 
there was a movie that came out called Waiting for Superman. It was like porn for these Dems. They loved that movie. They would watch it over and over again. It made it seem like the teachers unions were the reasons why there was gaps in educational performance between uh, poor kids and rich kids. Mark, they signed on to that. They embraced it. They, they, um, they backed the charter school movement. They undercut the teachers union. To me, that was a significant blunder, not only for education, not only for the union movement, but politically speaking. It's the equivalent of the Dems when they joined the Hyde Amendment. When they backed the Hyde Amendment in the 70s, said no public funding for abortion, that undercut the abortion rights movement. That undercut the fact, the notion that there should be abortions or services that should be for everybody, not just for your income. But they did that because they wanted to prove. Do you follow what I'm saying, Mark? They wanted mm-hmm. to prove to the world that they were bipartisan. Every time the Dems moved to the right to court the so-called middle, they just push, they just push the center further right. Now we're here stuck in the Trump era with uh, radical right-wingers crawling all over the place. And it does begin, I believe, with the demonization of teachers' unions. Well, absolutely. You know, whenever we start to attack our public commons, because the Republicans are corporatists and they're about big business. Charter schools are not about education. It is about business. And it is about uh, privatizing public schools and being paid for by tax dollars to make right-wing Republicans rich, period. It is not about educating children. They don't care about educating black children, poor children, uh, or even poor whites. They care about using our government and our, our public commons to further enrich corporate people, period. That's what that is about. They don't care about our public health. They don't care about the reproductive health uh, of women. They care about how they can get those federal dollars to enrich their friends. And the people who need that reproductive health are collateral damage. That's That's what it is. It is about money. They are not concerned about people. And Democrats who get convinced of this with their political ignorance uh, and all who have many who have benefited from these policies when they were poor or in public education. Now that they're sitting in fat seats with, you know, leather cushiony chairs uh, and they have good health care and they've got a decent income. They now have a change of of their view and are supporting these corporatists to throw people out who need that sort of service uh, and communities that need strong public education. Because if you tear apart education or where you see areas of high crime and high violence, you see areas where they have poor school uh, availability or poor school resources. They work in tandem. Uh, all right. Uh, let's now move back to uh, the whole issue of the uh, mayor's race uh, and yes. your concept of meritorious manumission. 
which um, you're going to have to take the deep dive for our listeners on. Uh, manumission is the liberation of slaves. This is a metaphorical concept, I believe, uh, that Mark created and um, an attempt, as Mark Wallace sees it, by uh, MAGA to make inroads in Chicago came very close to being successful uh, in this last mayor's race again with Paul Vallis. Uh, received roughly 48% of the vote. So uh, deliver your theory, Mark Wallace. Go ahead. Well, here, here, here's my theory, um, which I think that can be backed up by the evidence, that what happened in this election was a rebranding of what happened in the election of the, uh, the daily Harold Washington election when half or more of the Democratic machine overnight became Republicans uh, to support Bernard Epton against Harold Washington. So these Democrats went against their very own party and their very own principles because they didn't want Harold Washington to become the mayor. The same thing, remasked, but just with more money, the Republicans, these were this was a Republican effort to infiltrate Chicago politics like they tried to in, infiltrate uh, the gubernatorial election and were not successful. So you had Betsy DeVos, who was Donald Trump's uh, educate secretary of education, Ron Gidwitz, Sam Zells, Jennifer Pritzker. And I'm missing one other. Uh, they'll come to me. But all five of them went and bought themselves Paul Vallis, who could not get elected in three other elections that he tried to get elected here in Illinois. One as lieutenant governor, one as governor in 2002, and as mayor 2019. He couldn't get 30,000 votes then. So he became their great white hope. And white liberals on the north side and black so-called progressives on uh, the south and west side were bought off by these Republicans and told them, we're gonna give you some money, but we want you to support Paul Vallis. And that's what this was. In 1710, there was something in Virginia that was put on the books called meritorious manumission, which was a policy that enslaved people could earn their freedoms if they were to sell out other slaves that benefited the slave owners. And so that's exactly what happened here in this mayoral election with people like Roderick Sawyer, Sophia King, um, Michelle Harris, Emma Mitz, Walter Burnett, and um, Derek Curtis. And of course, she kind of hid behind the wing, Stephanie uh, Coleman and, and others, and um, Emil Jones and Bobby Hush, I mean, Bobby Rush, um, who's a former uh, congressman, all of these so-called black progressives who are supposedly care about black people are willing, were willing to sell, well, they were, they sold their people out for a bowl of beans. And so that's what this was about. This was not about Paul Vallis. Paul Vallis, the Republicans could care less about, but he was their tool to be their great white hope 
for them to infiltrate and to seize power here in Chicago, as they're trying to do in other Democratic, uh, largely Democratic African-American areas in Tennessee and South Carolina, North Carolina, down in places uh, in Florida and Dade County and Miami-Dade County, who uh, they did the, the, the same thing down there. But they were successful down there uh, to reelect Sam Zales or, or uh, Ron DeSantis. So this is what this was about here in Chicago. And I think that that is largely being passed over and being missed as what happened here. And I think that the, the liberals on the north side and the black progressives on the south and west side need to be called out about what they participated in and what could have destroyed uh, Chicago if this were successful. All right. Um, so before I get into the uh, some of the, I took a lot of notes on what you just said. I want to point out uh, that Mark has his own podcast, which he co-hosts uh, with Charles Thomas, uh, the uh, conservative, uh, former uh, ABC political reporter, now a conservative. I mean, I would call him a conservative Republican, except that uh, I don't know. I, I think Charles probably thinks of himself as an independent, whatever. Uh, he, uh, he calls was, himself an independent. I don't allow for him to go by that label because he behaves like a Republican. So, you know, I, I don't allow him to go by that. Uh, okay. And yet I go back and forth with that. Uh, all right. These guys, by the way, have a podcast they do together. They're as uh, just let's pause and think about that for a moment. Um, I don't know how you guys you obviously do you do it in the same room? Yeah, we do it in the same room. Sometimes we're just usually yelling at each other. But uh, yeah, we do do it in the same room. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just yelling at each other. Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. Anyway. Uh, and so you've made this point uh, on your podcast. You've put this point out uh, on the Internet. You don't shy from this. Mark Wallace has a lot of guts, in my opinion. Uh, so, Mark, what's been the response? Has there been tremendous pushback uh, from people saying you're so unfair to say the things that you're saying about Bobby Rush or Emma Mitts or uh, Jesse White or Walter Burnett? Uh, or Rod Sawyer, how dare you say these things uh, about people? How dare you create this metaphor about a law from 1710 slave, uh, slavery times uh, in Virginia? Have you gotten a lot of feedback like that? No, uh, I don't think these people have the guts to to uh, to uh, to push back at me uh, this way. Um, I would love for them to do that. I would love to have the debate with them, but I wouldn't have a private debate. It would have to be public. Uh, because they would have to defend their positions, which they can't defend. Um, and if they, you know, think that it's unfair or they think that it's not true, look, um, Rod Sawyer got $68,000, right? So he was a very well-paid manumission, uh, meritorious manumission person. So um, he got $68,000. Michelle Harris got $15,000. No, she got $30,000. Um, now you uh, talk about you're talking about cap when you say she got your you mean political contributions from Paul Vallis, correct? Is that what you're Paul, saying? Paul Vallis or the Republicans, the MAGA Republicans who who propped up Paul Vallis. Um, so Sophia King, sixty thousand dollars. 
Uh, Emma Mitz, $15,500. Anthony Beal got $15,000. The uh, Derek Curtis got $17,000. And uh, David Moore got $30,000. So they got paid this money, $236,000 to sell their people out. All of which, by the way, all of which, by the way, their constituents voted for Brandon Johnson by 80% in uh, the runoff election. So that tells me that they didn't give a damn about what their constituents said or their constituents, as long as somebody could write a check and give them a big pot of beans uh, that they are willing to sell out their uh, their constituents for. And it has to be called out. They cannot go allow uh, to, to go on with this and hiding and not be called out about it. I would love to sit at a round table with them with a public forum and have an open debate with them about what they did. All right. Uh, it, all, it also strongly uh, suggests uh, the, the fact that they publicly endorsed uh, Paul Vallis uh, and their wards overwhelmingly voted for Brandon Johnson that, how do I put this? They don't have... <laughs> much power of persuasion to put it euphemistically uh in their wards like their endorsement doesn't mean anything do you, do you well, follow what it says is that their wards are, are much smarter than they are and their wards have a, a much better conscience than they do this is what this 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 says uh that the ward is not as stupid uh as they um portrayed them in what they did because they made a decision as public servants, that this is what their community want. And their community soundedly rejected that. All right. So you said uh, they could have, uh, the Paul Vallis vote was essentially a vote to destroy Chicago. That was, I, I wrote that down. That was a, That's something you said. What do you mean? I know, again, I, I believe you're speaking metaphorically. So what do you mean when you say destroy Chicago? What I mean by that is politically is that if the Republicans were to take control of and seize power uh, of our politics in Chicago, there goes our, our Chicago public, uh, public commons. They would privatize everything, even though we have, I think, more than 40 or 50 percent of our public commons have been privatized. They would privatize everything. They would destroy uh, unions that, that protect jobs uh, within our public spaces. Uh, the Chicago, again, the Chicago's public schools would be turned into all charter schools in this ridiculous school choice, uh, which is not much of a choice for black kids. It would just absolutely erode opportunity for black people and poor people here. Keep in mind, there's not a single poor white community in Chicago, but there are several black and Hispanic poor communities in Chicago. So if Republicans were to do this, and this is that idea, because remember, they're trying to do this nationally Mm -hmm. so that they can increase their power because um, electorally, they're only about 40 percent of the electorate nationally. So they need to, in order for them to try to seize national power, they've got to uh, take control of local governments as well as state governments in order for them to have the kind of national power that they want to have to take us back to dark days that we don't need to go down. 
Uh, I should point out, uh, Mark's been on the show in the past uh, talking about his opposition to uh, red light cameras uh, and uh, the various fines that the city uh, imposes on people who break traffic laws uh, as a way of fortifying the budget in the absence of more progressive forms of taxation. Uh, One of your allies in that effort, at least the last go around, uh, was Alderman Anthony Beal. I have to point that out. Uh, Anthony Beal is on the opposite side of the mayor's race from you. He strongly endorsed Paul Ballas and then gave a quote to the, I think it was the Tribune on the night that uh, Brandon Johnson lost, where he was just saying, this is the end of, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, essentially saying, this is the end of civilization as we know it, which is interesting. One more time, uh, uh, Anthony Beal, huh? come on, show a little love for Stacey Davis-Gates joining forces with Pedro Martinez. Little progress there, uh, but which civilization is he talking about? I don't know. I, those are my words, not his. I was teasing yeah. because he was so distraught. I have to. I, I we I, we did a dissertation yeah. on the on uh, on that quote, which is so bizarre uh, to think that somehow or other uh, the downturn in Chicago began with Lori Life and was going to continue uh, with Brandon Johnson, just like totally looking, overlooking like the last 50 years of history in the city of Chicago. Anyway, let's put it aside for the moment. He was very upset on election night uh, that um, Brandon Johnson was victorious over the candidate he endorsed. Uh, so, Mark, talk about that. Like, you could be with Anthony B. on one issue. I think David Moore might have been with you on that issue as well, if I'm um, no, not, he was he not. Was, David Moore flipped on that issue. He flipped on that. You're right. You're right. I said corrected. You're absolutely correct. So how can it be uh, that you're with him on this thing? You're not with him on that thing? You know, would you, do you have, feel any impulse to, like, give an Anthony Beal a little break uh, just because he was with you on the the, uh, the camera issue, even though no. you're on opposite sides? Go ahead. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Um, I, I'm not one of these people who believe in that. There's this saying that goes around and says that there's no permanent uh, enemies or permanent friends, just permanent interests. I'm not one of those. Uh, I don't buy into that. What I buy into what is right or what is wrong, period. Now, I am no fan uh, of, of Anthony Bill because I think he's an idiot. I don't think he's a bright person uh, at all. I think he happens to be uh, someone who is being used by that right wing. And, and you know what? If I were in his place and the place with the rest of those meritorious manumissioners, I would be distraught too because of what I did was unsuccessful and 80% of the people that I represent voted and rejected that idea. I'd be distraught as well. You know, I'd go into a cocoon somewhere and not come out if I didn't have to. So uh, because they all look like the fools that they are, and they demonstrated outwardly who they really are and what our communities mean to them or not. That's what they demonstrated. No, I should give him a break because he supported one issue because he did the right thing. A broken clock is right twice a day. So, um, but it's, it's wrong, you know, the other hundred and whatever it is, 66 minutes a day. So, I'm just not one of those persons because I don't think that people do things like this, this behavior um, in silos. It is part and parcel of who they are. Uh, so, all right. Uh, 80% of the uh, black wards 
Eighty percent of the vote in the black wards went to uh, Brandon Johnson, at least. Um, what do you think was at play there? Why was that? Such a they, they, the, the Brandon Johnson campaign had a phenomenal ground game. The Chicago Teachers Union uh, say what you want to say about them, but they have a strong political ground game. You, in my opinion, cannot win elections if you don't have a strong ground game. Um, the electorate, I'm an electorate. I still respect the idea of somebody knocking on my door asking for my support. Whether I support them or not, I certainly respect that. Uh, Brandon Johnson sat down with me before um, he ran for office, and we had an hour-long discussion. I didn't say at that point that I was supporting him. Uh, but I certainly had to seriously consider him over any of the other candidate because he was the only one who was willing to sit down and have a conversation without any pretenses. Then I asked him to come on the podcast as a candidate. He came on the podcast as, as, as a candidate, took questions and, and dealt with, uh, with, with the uh, questions both from myself and Charles. Uh, I asked uh, Paul Vallis to come on. They wanted pre-written questions <laughs> before they, they would come on. And I told them, I don't bake cakes uh, and send them out to you before you come to the party. Uh, it doesn't, I don't do interviews that way. So uh, Brandon Johnson has been my candidate uh, in both go-rounds yeah. and I support him a thousand percent. That's what happened. Uh, Paul Vallis threw, or let me say, the Republicans, the extremists, threw money at black people thinking that they can deliver the black vote without having an organized uh, ground game. Okay, so, uh, God, there's so much I want to follow up on. One is my philosophy of, of interviews, a little different than yours. I'm not going to deliver and write. Well, if somebody asks me what I'm going to ask them, I will literally, every guest, I will text them. Every day, I get a text my guests, a cheat sheet. This is what we're going to discuss. But what I cannot promise, Mark, is in the course of a conversation, me not asking a follow-up. I don't know what the conversation's going to go. So like you said, uh, what was the phrase that I wrote down? Destroy Chicago. I didn't know you were going to say that. I needed to know. Like, what do you mean by that? A follow-up. You get what right. I'm saying? So yeah. I couldn't say. I could like, I mean, it, the concept of Paul Vallis coming on my show is so hilarious anyway, but just think about that. I couldn't say, Paul, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to, this is the, this is the categories we're going to discuss. I'll send you a cheat sheet. Everybody gets a cheat sheet. When you come on my show, you get that little text, you know, you've got like probably dozens of them on your phone right now. Right. But, but I don't know where the conversation's going to go. It's ridiculous for a person who wants to be city mayor of the city of Chicago to like say, I want to know exactly what questions you're going to ask me and only what questions you're going to. You get what I'm saying? That's yeah. like going before like a third grade class where the, the kids wrote out the questions. Right. Literally, they ask the question and the politician answers. You've seen stuff like that. And then they just immediately go to the second question, no matter what they said. Do you follow me? Yeah. So. Well, my my approach to this is that if you are buying for a public position, the most powerful position, probably in Illinois, as the mayor of the city of Chicago, mm -hmm. and you want me to give you a cheat sheet, you want me to uh, treat you like a first grader, 
that I think we need somebody else to be the mayor of the city of Chicago. You, you shouldn't be running to be the mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, I think that these positions are too important. And my philosophy is I am going to be straight up with you because my father and my big daddy would say, you cannot hit a straight lit with a crooked stick. So you got to be straight with people. You have to be straight with people because I believe that if I come straight down the middle with you, not meaning, you know, politically, but if I am straight with you, I am going to get the right or the wrong answer, but I'm going to get the right answer to make a determination on whether or not you are the right person to support or not. Um, so that, 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 that is the only way that I believe that to, to deal with this. I don't believe in letting people answer a question that I didn't ask. Mm. Uh, I don't believe in letting people, oh, I hear what you're saying. I know what you just said. Yes. Uh, well, a lot of politicians do that. Uh, and, and, and to a certain degree, uh, it's why, how do I put this as euphemistically as I can, Mark? Like interviewing elected officials is not that fun. You right. know, I like that conversation where people speak their mind. It's a free-flowing conversation. People can riff. People could go, uh, it, it, you know, you speak, you're not afraid. You right. get what I'm saying? So a lot of politicians, that, Tony Preckwinkle is the champ of this, have yeah. mastered the art of answering whatever they <laughs> Responding however they want to whatever you ask, whether or not it's connected whatsoever to what you uh, asked. Right. Uh, and uh, it's like, what's the point? You know, I don't, I don't that's just me speaking. Well, um, I think it's this, I think it's dishonest to the people that you're supposed to be representing. We are the public who pay for you to be in that position, for you to look out for our best interest. We need to know, we need to know what your thoughts are and how you're thinking at approaching that job. And I, in my little space of a, an activist or a podcaster, I am responsible to the public. They don't pay me, but I'm responsible to the public to try to get to the truth of what these people are doing and are planning to do with your resources. I don't want to be able to walk out my door and be ashamed to face any person of the public. I want them to know that I, whatever little space I'm operating in, I'm doing the very best I can uh, for their interest. All right. So get to the truth. Uh, and I'm going to now apply that uh, philosophy, that principle to the 80% vote Brandon Johnson got in the black community. Uh, and conversely, the roughly 70% of the vote that Paul Vallis got from white people on the lakefront uh, in the Ward 42, 43. I've noticed, I say this with an asterisk next to us. Um, I think I mentioned this to Mark. I've mentioned this on the mic. Uh, it, it, the vote for Paul Vallis, uh, ward by ward along the lakefront, fell as the number of non-white people <laughs> increased in a ward. It's Anthony Jackson, shout out to Anthony Jackson, political strategist, pointed this out. He was on the show with me. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, youth will lead old people. Uh, and uh, I, it's astounding. So I, in my rough, I don't have a, I don't have a census block count of this, but 
Hall Vallis got roughly 70% of the lakefront vote, in my humble opinion, um, of the white lakefront vote. All right. I believe it's bigger that 80% uh, is more significant than just good groundwork. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Brandon Johnson's campaign was far more sophisticated, far more strategic, far more organized than Paul Vallis. We all know that. We've seen the shambles post-election of Paul Vallis's campaign. Uh, it's embarrassment. And um, uh, and yes, they had a core group of door-to-door volunteers who really believed in the message that Brandon Johnson was putting out and really had aspirations for electing a man of the left like Brandon Johnson. No doubt about it. There was no nothing even remotely resembling that uh, from the Vallis campaign. Everything you're saying is true. However, I believe that that 80% vote is more than just great organization. I believe that 80% vote was a statement from black voters in Chicago that they wanted a different direction for the city. I also believe that push come to shove, if you have a black man like Brandon Johnson, who by all outward appearances is more than qualified to do the job and yet is getting hammered by corporate Chicago, editorial Chicago, civic Chicago, the Arnie Duncans and Senator Durbin's of Chicago as being unqualified, even though it's eminently obvious he's every bit as qualified as Paul Vallis. If you put that argument in front of black voters, Mark Wallace, in my humble opinion, they will go with the black guy every single time because they see how unfair and inconsistent the application of notion of qualification is. Brandon Johnson was every bit as qualified as Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of the city of Chicago. Rahm Emanuel had no background in running a big... He didn't even live in Chicago, Mark Wallace. He barely even knew Chicago. Nobody ever challenged Rahm Emanuel's qualifications. He's chief of staff in the, in the Obama White House. It was kicked out of the Obama White House because Michelle Obama couldn't take another day of him. That is... And that's when they came up with this notion that he was going to be the mayor of the city of Chicago... And all the voters are saying, oh, President Obama wants him to be our mayor. We're going to vote for him. That was black and whites together, Mark, yeah. with that great yeah. decision. So you can't blame it on white people. You can't blame it on black people. Right. Point is. But I blame myself uh, for part of that. Oh, no, Mark Wallace. Don't tell me you voted for Rahm Emanuel in 2011. I did not know that. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, yes, but truth did. will set you free. At least you've, right. you're honest about yeah, it. I did. But, but the point is, I if you I didn't have a, I didn't have. I didn't have another black person that was on that 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 um, um, on that role that I had any confidence in. Carol Mosley Braun, disaster. You know, Congressman uh, Danny Davis. You know, I, I have my issues with 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 him. He's a Wait, he wasn't running in two thousand and eleven. Well, he was going to. He was going to, um, and I forget who the other black people there, but. Anyway, there was nobody on that list for me that I could support okay. uh, uh, on that list. And so I took a chance with Rahm Emanuel, which was a wrong thing to do. Uh, I didn't have any, you know. All right. You could have voted for Miguel Devine, but neither here nor there. All right. Uh, uh, let's not relitigate the 2011 mayoral race. Right. I can't remember. This is how my memory is faded. I know at one point uh, Reverend James Meeks was running 
did he make the ballot? I do not know. I cannot remember. No, he uh, quit. He quit. Okay. All right. Uh, I remember him at a, at a, a forum uh, uh, early on in the campaign. That's why uh, you know, yeah, Gary Cheek. He, got, he made a lot of people upset because at that time there were a lot of people uh, hoping that he was going to run. He said he was going to run. Yes. And then all of a sudden he didn't run. So a lot of people yeah. were upset, upset about that. But okay. the 80% that you're talking about, let, no. me, let me just say one, Brandon Johnson. A lot of people said to me, I don't know Brandon Johnson. I haven't. Brandon Johnson's ability to immediately connect with people was one reason that when he got in front of people, he was able to connect and convince them that this is the person that I would support. Number one, connectivity uh, to, to Brandon Johnson. He is very, very capable. So I think that, and then the other thing is, is that black people in Chicago know the track record of Paul Vallis and what he did to black people in the Chicago public schools. This man fired over a thousand teachers, over 700 black teachers, cafeteria workers and janitors lost their jobs because he said you had to reapply and they never got their jobs back. I did forums uh, and workshops at Rainbow Push where some of those people lost their homes because they could not get another job. So black people were not ignorant to who Paul Vallis was. So that's where that 80%, a combination, in my opinion, of why that 80% was there, there was a sound rejection to uh, Paul Vallis. Yeah, I also, yeah, don't, don't forget, uh, oh my God, we're going to redo the Paul Vallis years as CPS. Don't get me started down that path. Uh, but that bizarre position, the uh, the Vallis, Chico, and Daly uh, team at the public schools took on the whole issue of social promotion, uh, where they were just going to suddenly um, uh, hold a children accountable for their test scores on standardized tests, and they flunked people or held them back. Uh, had a huge impact on uh, black students, a uh, big impact on uh, on dropout rates. Uh, and the, the city has, and the, the students who dropped out paid a consequence for the last 20 years. All right, not to relitigate all that. I'm just making a different point. And the point is uh, that there is, how do I put it, a vastly different way of looking at the world between black people and white people. And I've been so aware of this uh, Mark Wallace, since I became aware that there were black people and white people in the world. I had an advantage that you probably as a, a black kid growing up in Florida did not have. I was unaware. I'm a white guy. I'm a white kid in Rhode Island. There are no black people around me. I don't know any black people. My family mm -hmm. moved to Evanston. and I suddenly see black people. Mm -hmm. I, I'm like, that's when I became aware that there's a difference between black people and white people, the way they're treated. And the way they see the world. I was struggling this with the as a sixth grader at age 11. Mark was blowing my mind. And I've been living it ever since for over 50 years. And it, in some fundamental ways, it doesn't change. The way white people see the world, the way black people see the world. The way white people are absolutely incapable of acknowledging that they have a bias. So they see Brandon Johnson and they go, he's not qualified. 
I go, what makes you say this man is not qualified and Rahm Emanuel is? Well, listen, this is one of the reasons why I believe that it is important for us to have these uncomfortable conversations. I make white people when I am in, in their presence, people who I'm friendly with uh, and people who I don't know, I make them have conversations that they normally have in their areas of comfort, whether they're around white people that they're comfortable with or whether they're around black people that they're comfortable with. I make people, and black people as well, I make people have these conversations because if we are going to be better for a better world, we have to deal with the maladies of what happened in the past and what is continuing. If we're going to be better, we have to acknowledge those things that were done wrong and those things that are being done wrong simply because of somebody's color or somebody's privilege. This is not to say that this is making white people bad people. There are you know, bad people everywhere, but we have to deal with the bad practices that make us as people continue to pretend that things are better. In a lot of respects, they're not better. And we have to have those truthful conversations. It doesn't mean that you and I need to be enemies. We just need to acknowledge these are a problem and we have to deal with these problems if we're going to be better. All right. And in one uh, way out here, I'm going to take the opportunity uh, to make a transition uh, to national politics that we are clearly not better, in my humble opinion. And I said this to you before we went on the air. Uh, we are officially a country of two standards. There are no standards for MAGA America. None. Donald Trump. It, I, I can't even. So many people are unaware of this. Donald Trump is on trial right now in New York City for rape. He's the number one candidate that Republicans will endorse. Donald Trump's on a phone call, taped conversation, telling the Secretary of State of Georgia to throw away the votes that uh, have to be thrown away for him, Donald Trump, to win Georgia over Joe Biden. On the phone. You can hear him. He hasn't, has not even been indicted for that yet. Republicans still support him. There are no standards whatsoever. Here in Illinois, we're still celebrating, patting ourselves in the back like we're so virtuous because the Madigan Four, the Commonwealth Edison Four yesterday, were convicted for bribery and that rate hike scheme, which I always love pointing out. Republicans all voted for the rate hike, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't just Democrats who voted for that rate hike. Right. And you know, like, what was the Republicans' excuse? At least Madigan's got some jobs for his cronies for it. Well, that's what Republicans do. Republicans are always going to vote for things that are going to benefit their rich friends. Always. Tax cuts benefit their rich friends. They're going to vote for that. Increases in rates on, on, on utilities benefit their rich friends. They're going to always be supportive of that. Always. So that's yeah. what Republicans do. All I right. expected for the Democrats not to go along uh, with that, but they did. They did. They went along with it. It's classic Madigan. He, uh, he, 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 they went along with it, and in exchange, he and his cronies or his cronies got some job from Commonwealth Edison. 
Uh, so they sold out the interests of their people. I'm not crying over the fact, believe me, that uh, those folks were uh, convicted. I'm just saying at the same time that's happening and Republicans are jumping for joy and uh, pointing out the quote unquote corruption of the Democratic Party. Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court. A day doesn't pass without another revelation of him getting him a gift or a handout from one of his cronies. Now, how is that permissible? But the Madigan Four is not permissible. You know why? Because it's two standards in this country. One for Republicans and one for Democrats. What's legal for and and acceptable for Republicans is illegal for Democrats. Democrats play by one set of rules. Republicans play by another set of rules. I know it may be painful for your dear friend Charles Thomas to hear that, but it is true. Well, it is very true. And they do a a much better job than the Democrats at selling their nonsense as being something good. And right now, what is happening, we are seeing terrorists, literally terrorist, political terrorism being supported on our country. And Donald Trump being the number one terrorist. Four of the five proud Proudmen were convicted today of interfering with a federal process. If those four people were convicted of that, that tells me that Donald Trump is it's imminent for his indictment and certainly imminent for his conviction because he was the leader of that interference at encouraging all of these people to interfere in a federal process. But here it is, he is the leading candidate, the leading person for the nomination for the Republican Party. If the Republicans are not going to deal with uh, getting rid of somebody like Donald Trump, then the Democrats have to put both feet on the pedal and deal with this. And that's why, by the way, bringing back to Chicago, I think it's so important uh, that uh, MAGA was defeated in the city of Chicago. Because if you had a MAGA sympathizer as mayor of the city of Chicago going into this all-important 2024 election, that would totally dilute the message uh, you're delivering. So I just, like, I, I would just wish voters kind of wake up and see the sort of the more wide-ranging implications of the decisions they make. Yes. Particularly Lakefront liberals who uh, are upset by Donald Trump. I, I, I hope that they, I hope this is not a permanent, a permanent move on their part where they suddenly uh, have become brainwashed and are MAGA supporters. Uh, well, I like. To- this is why I, I, you know, I keep, and I will reiterate what the attempt was here in Chicago and what, Republicans are very good at is they're very good at picking nuanced issues like uh, public education or uh, the police department and using those tools to try to pit people who are Democrats or people from the black community to support them because they put themselves up as these self-righteous freedom people and you have people who are lakefront liberals that are not unintelligent people, or you have progressive blacks that get frustrated with uh, the Democratic Party. And look, I'm no loyalist to, de- to the Democratic Party. I just happen to, they just happen to be a group <laughs> that is close to, you know, that I can deal with fairness for people. The Republicans you know won't offer any of that. I, I got to tell you this. I am a classic uh, self-hating Democrat. 
I, you said you're not a loyalist. And I was about to say, yeah, I'm not a loyalist either. I go, who are you kidding, Ben? You haven't voted for Republicans since 1980 when you voted for Bernard Carey over Richard Daley for state's attorney. You didn't even live in, you didn't even live in Chicago, Mark Wallace. You were still down in Florida, wherever you were, uh, being a rollerblade champion. This was, that's how long ago it was that I voted Republican. So who am I kidding? Well, Half the time I'm mad at myself for voting for him because it's more often than not, they break my heart like Madigan selling out the rate payers of Illinois on that uh, rate paying deal. You know what I'm saying? Or Richard Durbin supporting Paul Vallis, you know, or not being more aggressive and dealing with Clarence Thomas and his obvious conflicts of interest. I always get frustrated with the Democrats and then, but I undercut my frustration. (laughs) Feeling I have no choice. But you don't have an alternative. You do not have an alternative. This is why we're stuck with 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 the with the Democrats. We don't have an alternative. And I said this to Charles a week ago. If I had an alternative, then I would, but I don't, because the Republicans don't offer anything at all. So what we have to do is it really comes back to us as the electorate. We have to just get better Democrats in place. Uh you know, throw out those ones that are that we're frustrated with and give somebody else the opportunity to go there to serve. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's absolutely the case. All right. The point I was going to make is that uh, the article I just had called it up here. Here it is. The uh, Proud Boys, four members of the Proud Boys, including their former leader, Enrique Tarrio, were convicted on Thursday of seditious conspiracy for plotting to keep President Donald John Trump in power after his election defeat by leading a violent mob and attacking the Capitol on January 6, 2021. If that does, if that sentence alone doesn't scare the hell out of you, America, nothing will. The, the case was heard in a federal district court in Washington. Okay. Do you believe, Mark Wallace, if that case were held in a federal district court, let's say in rural Texas, it would have had the same outcome? No. We live in two no. countries. Because you would have you would have had MAGA loyalists as the jurors. I would like to think that that there would have been the same outcome, uh, but it's not. But now, but also let me just say this because I don't want to indict all people who live in some of these rural areas, because there was a story yesterday that was done uh, about a group of people, and I forget where it is, uh, in rural someplace, I can't remember where it is, but they are throwing out the person who is in charge of the elections. Uh, She has only been in that area for three years, and She has been supporting all this QAnon nonsense, and it is as red as red gets, and they want to throw her out. Uh, And and what they're doing is they've called for a recall. They've called for a recall because uh, of her stances about the election uh, being, you know, a fraudulent election. And this is as red as a rural area get. With that said, I don't know that we would have gotten the same outcome in this uh trial uh yeah I, there's no way of knowing that i just pointed that out uh yeah. and uh and conversely this is uh the, the special delight that uh, our mutual friend monroe anderson gets every wednesday pointing out that donald trump's rape trial is in new york city uh and uh one of these days they'll get around i believe into indicting him in georgia for so clearly and obviously trying to uh 
pressure the Secretary of State into uh, uh, cheating on an election. Uh, that's essentially what it was. And just imagine, Republicans, your outrage if it was Michael Joseph Madigan caught on a, a phone conversation with the Secretary of State of uh, Illinois uh, asking him, Jesse White, I guess, would have been, to throw out votes in an election. Just imagine that and how you would feel about that. Today, yeah, today's conviction, Ben, today's conviction, if Donald Trump is not indicted and convicted, then these, there, is, there is that double standard. There is that double standard. These people were convicted for interfering with a federal process. Did Donald Trump do that? Yes. And I'll just take it one step further. Donald Trump will be the beneficiary of a one-man-only town hall meeting to be televised on CNN. Okay? So not only is he not being convicted of sedition, not only is he not being indicted as of yet for trying to bully the Secretary of State to throwing out votes, he is being rewarded by one of the largest TV affiliates in the country, given prime time to present his point of view to the American people as he prepares to run for uh, election in 2024. Was CNN purchased by by MAGA rights or something recently? No, they're playing that game. They're playing that, they they fired uh, Don Lemon and now they're courting MAGA. And they're, who knows? Was that the trade-off? You know what? I'm not privy to the inner uh, thoughts of the people who run CNN. But to quote my mom, may you rest in peace, mom. There are no coincidences in the world, okay? They fired Don Lemon and they're biting Donald Trump off. At the same time that Fox is struggling with its core audience. So So, Donald Trump told them, fire Don Don Lemon and I'll come on. You know what? If anything is possible in the world, Mark, neither you know that nor I know that. Unless you have access to them that I don't have. Ask Charles. Maybe he knows. I just look at what is likely. I know he hates Don Lemon. Don Lemon hates uh, Donald Trump. Don Lemon gets fired less than a week. Donald Trump is going to be on on the air. Yeah, and that's a blow to Fox. Fox is nervous because if Donald Trump starts using CNN as his outlet of choice to appeal to MAGA, that could shift thousands and thousands of viewers. A lot of eyeballs would leave Fox to go to CNN. So, well, Fox has already said that they're going to be bringing him back on and letting him, uh, giving him uh, space. Yeah, what if Donald Trump says, mm, I think I'm going to go to CNN? You know what I'm saying? It's like, he will. yeah, he will. He's going to use them both. He's going to manipulate them both. My point. He's going to have access to how many eyeballs? The man whose Proud Boys just got convicted of sedition? Countries, it's a crazy time, Mark. It's a really crazy time in this country. Here in the bubble that we know of Illinois, we're so proud that we convicted the Madigan Four. (laughs) Meanwhile, on the national stage, CNN is giving a microphone to Donald Trump. When are they going to give a microphone to Madigan for a a town hall meeting? Unbelievable. Uh, We pretend the world is one way and it's something else. All right, we've run out of time. Uh, Mark Wallace, tell folks uh, where they can uh, follow your podcast with Charles. Uh, Do a little self-promotion. Go. 
Thank you very much. Well, you can follow our podcast every Monday night. We're live on YouTube and Facebook at uh, facebook.com with uh, with Mark Wallace and, and The People Show. And Charles Thomas and I are on intellectualradio.com every Monday night from 7 o'clock till 9, either shouting at each other or <laughs> debating each other uh, about how we see the world, about how largely politics uh, affects the black community. He shows it from his so-called conservative side. I show it from my so-called, I guess, liberal side. Uh, and it, it's a very interesting two hours of conversation. Every Monday night, join us, uh, intellectualradio.com, 7 and uh, Yeah, you, you are an old-fashioned liberal. And there's so many people are afraid of that term, but that's how I view you. You're not a lefty. You're a liberal. And yeah. I personally don't think there's anything wrong with liberals, but liberals, they got, they bought into what everything Ronald Reagan said about them. So at, at one point they started calling themselves progressives, which I thought was kind of a joke. Whatever uh, that means. Yes. Whatever that means. Yeah. means nothing is what it means. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. So I still call them liberals and then there's lefties. Uh, and, uh, and then liberals kind of fold into centrists, which who are really, uh, moderate Republicans, uh, and and then you go, then you start going MAGA. Although at this stage, I'm not even the moderate Republicans. They can't find. I know we got to get off the air, but they can't find five Republicans. Five. I've been following this to join the Democrats on the debt ceiling vote. They're searching for five Republican Congress people, some of whom are in districts that voted for Biden. Mark Wallace. They voted for Biden, and they yeah. <laughs> they've raised the debt limit. 74 times in this country, yeah. 74 times in this country and brought us to the brink. I think, what was it, in 2012 or something where we had to pay trillions of dollars more interest because of the black man being in office. And now uh, they want to do the same thing. Meanwhile, these are the same people who are saying we want to cut costs and cut spending, but are going to cost us trillions of dollars in interest because, you know, they just don't want to do the right thing. Wow. That's wow. Well, all they need is five. Good luck. Good luck. Some of them are again are in Biden districts that went for Biden. All right, Mark Wallace, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to come talk to me. Always a blast. Uh, and also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job. Uh, and I think I, I'm sure Mark will agree with you when I say producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And don't forget, if you missed a show, you can download them, all the previous shows at ChicagoReader.com. You can follow The Benny J Show on Instagram at Benny J Show. It's pretty simple. And uh, all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.